Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, blah, 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 blah. You know the rest of what I'd usually say. But this isn't a usual episode. This episode, in fact, is especially for you, On Point podcast listener. It's episode one of a new pod-only feature that we're adding to our feed. So you likely know Jack Beatty. He's On Point's news analyst and has been with the show since its inception. And in the many years I've known Jack, he has been unmatched in his intellectual curiosity, historical knowledge, analytical insight, and warm humanity. And I've frequently said to myself, when I grow up, I want to try to be at least half as smart as Jack. And I'll tell you why. Because every day after we broadcast the radio show, the On Point staff heads into our daily editorial meeting. And in that meeting, no matter what we're talking about, Jack has this incredible ability to thread together sharp observations about what's in the news right now, historical analysis to provide us with a meaningful basis of comparison, and literary connections that suddenly encapsulate what we're seeing in a way that makes sense. And he does all of this off the cuff. And just about every day I walk out of that editorial meeting thinking, well, now I understand what's going on in a way I never did before. So Jack is totally unique in his talents. And we're really quite selfish in being the beneficiary of those talents every day in our editorial meeting. And we recently thought, well, we ought to share his talents even more. So starting today, we're launching a new weekly podcast-only feature where Jack is going to guide us through his analysis of an important but under-recognized aspect of American political life. Think of it as Jack standing at the bow of a boat in murky and confusing waters, pointing to the shark fin just below the surface that very few others are seeing. And the murkiest, most shark-infested water right now is, of course, the 2024 election. So every Friday morning, a new episode will drop with Jack's latest soundings on those waters. And Jack, honestly, by this time, I'm sure listeners are getting weary of my tortured aquatic metaphors. So hello, Jack. Hi. We gotta get a bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I wish I had thought of that one, Jack. Okay. So this is episode one. And if you had one sentence to encapsulate uh, what we're going to talk about, what would it be? Who are you going to believe, me or your own eyes? <laughs> that, that line from the Marx Brothers uh, film Duck Soup, uh, it, it seems to me encapsulates uh, what both campaigns, Biden, Trump, are saying to, to the voters. Uh, I don't believe the evidence of your senses, your experience. Listen to me. It's most blatant with Trump. I mean, from his big lie which for which people are now serving, I think, uh, 700 years aggregate in jail Mm. who obeyed that lie. And and more than 50 of them said we went into the we we invaded the Capitol because the president uh, pretty much told us to from that 
massive big lie, which has poisoned our politics, to petty matters like the slimfast lie of a <laughs> week ago, where, where Trump in all his corpulence says that he's Adonis. He's six foot three, 215 pounds, which describes a, you know, a, a defensive back in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, he can't, it, but people believe it. And, and a recent poll it it it's it should shock posterity says that more republicans believe him than members of their own family than clergymen than well, certainly than the media which which bespeaks a kind of cultish hold that he has and it's all based upon don't believe your eyes believe me okay so let me ask you though jack you're exactly right this is nothing new for donald trump we all remember the infamous my crowd at my inauguration was bigger than all others ever in human history i mean so we've been well well versed in this uh but the fact that no one's even I say overtly questioning it or that we've become so inured to it. Let me put it that way. Uh, it, it, does that seem like new to you that we're just like, oh, yeah, here's Trump. He's making stuff up. Or is, is it even more insidious now? It's the durability of it that uh -huh. gets me and how it is proof against experience. You know, the American genius used to be pragmatism, which is essentially... Uh, how our ideas interact with experience. And if experience shows your your notion isn't working, we, we go to a different notion. Experience was the thing that, that uh, the sort of the, 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 the genius of American life was to attend to experience and not a priori fixed ideas. Well, that throws American pragmatism out the window. People don't look at experience. Trump says, uh, you know, January 6th was a love fest. The people went in there out of love. Uh, and people say, well, all right, we believe him because he's saying it. And it's, uh, it, 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 it is the most frightening phenomenon in, I think, American political history that people would so depart from reality to follow this, this a man that the lieutenant governor of Georgia, former lieutenant governor, a Republican, just, just called a uh, quote. He said, a man with the moral compass of an axe murderer. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so on that... Uh note of um, departing from American pragmatism. The other thing about, um, you know, don't believe your own eyes that uh, Trump has raised to a dark art, I should say, is, is that the way we, let's say in the media, uh, respond to that now after so many years of it, because, yeah, you're exactly right. I'm thinking to hear him say things like January 6th was a love fest, etc. Well, that is patently not true, right? But what I've heard a lot in um, other analysis is that, well, Donald Trump himself thinks it's true. And so therefore, we just shrug and be like, well, he believes what he's saying, even though it's not true. We shrug and move on. I, that also seems to me to be a kind of not just don't believe your your own eyes that the that Trump is saying, but the rest of us are just kind of like, well, okay, let's move on to the next topic. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? We're just accepting his own truth because it is his. Exactly. I mean, there's been a kind of uh, we we you know it's sort of like post truth world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everybody's got their own version. That's his version, and uh, he's sticking to it. And. And, you know, there might have been an hour and a half there after January 6th when even Lindsey Graham was saying, I'm getting off the train. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Boy, that train soon left the station and they were all running after it because Trump's people still want 
to follow him. You know, Hannah Arendt in her Origins of Totalitarianism has this sentence that should really uh, sober us. She says that the masses escape from reality is a verdict against the world in which people are forced to live. Ugh. Ugh. Okay, so that's Trump continuing his uh, don't believe your own eyes uh, mantra. And in fact, oh, I'm going to go and just say one more thing here, Jack. The people on the Trump train love him for it. That's the other thing, right? They actually love the lies. Sometimes they believe them. Other times they love that he is lying. We're going to come back to that, I'm sure, in a, in a future a podcast, a special Jack podcast here. But moving on to Biden, though, you're saying, Jack, you've told me that it's not just Trump, but Biden, too, is embracing some kind of like, don't believe what you see? Well, Yes. Uh, you know, the whole pitch uh, the president has been making now for several months uh, is uh, look at all these good numbers. Look at the economy. Look, look at what, uh, you know, uh, inflation is down. Uh, uh, investment is up. Manufacturing jobs up. All the signals good. Unemployment wonderful. What does the public say? Well, by 11 points, people think Trump had a better economic record. Fact, Donald Trump is the first president since Herbert Hoover who lost jobs in his term. That is, there were fewer jobs at the end of Trump's term than at the beginning. Terrible record on the economy. Biden, by contrast, 10 million jobs have been created. People don't believe it. Inflation, 75% of the people think it's going up. It's fallen from 9% last year to 3% now. Biden says this again and again. No one is listening. No one is taking it in. Why? Because Biden has the antler problem. Mm. This is from Mike, Mike Murphy, the waggish uh, Republican uh, consultant who said last week, you know, a guy says, tomorrow I'm going to make a big announcement. He comes down. He says, I, I found a cure for cancer. But overnight he's grown antlers. So all people say is, what about the antlers? Uh, what about those antlers? I mean, this guy's got antlers on his head. Well, for Joe, the antlers are his age and his seeming, um, what, uh, fading from, from vitality, mm -hmm. his, the lesion of his vitality. And he was in Florida last week, and here's a description by Joe Klein of, of a moment uh, when he was down there. You know, he was really offering bomb to the victims of the hurricane and so on. And, and Joe was watching, and he writes, uh, listening to Biden, it was shocking and sad. He seems so old. His eyes were slits. He turned the pages of his very prepared remarks haltingly. His physical condition overwhelmed the message. All you could look at were the antlers. And people are simply not taking in the facts mm -hmm. because they don't credit, they, they can't look beyond the antlers. In March, you know, 35% of Americans said Biden inspires confidence. Now, 28%. It's just due to his age? Well, I think it's just due to the sense that people have is that, that they're being fooled, uh -huh. that they're not getting the full truth. After all, in the campaign, he put it out in, in, in uh, hints and in occasional uh, metaphors, I'm a bridge to a new generation of candidates. 
And in, in one interview with uh, Politico, uh, they said his 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 handler said he's not going to run again because he'd yeah. be 82 years old. Yep. He knows that. He said that. Well, something changed. He changed his mind. Uh, and uh, I think a, you know, a lot of people feel, wait a minute, we voted for you, understanding you were old, but wanting you to defeat Trump. Why do you have to yeah. run again? And I think people feel a kind of bait and switch. Well, you know, Jack, that uh, Joe Klein quote that you read is particularly arresting because, as you said, no one's ever going to accuse Joe Klein of being, uh, you know, opposed to the Democratic, nom- you know, presumed nominee for the president. Um so the overwhelming sense that people can't see beyond Biden's age and, and sometimes his uh, seeming increasing infirmity. We've got a couple of examples of that from um, some recent public appearances of the president. Um, and these are ones that you've noted, too, Jack. Let's play a couple, first of all, from back in June when President Biden met with Governor Josh Shapiro of Pennsylvania after a section of the I-95 collapsed in northeast Philadelphia. Now, after the press conference was officially over, Biden and Shapiro and other officials were kind of talking amongst themselves. The mics were still on, though, and C-SPAN cameras were still rolling. I'm an, I'm an optimist, man. I'm glass <laughs> Uh, and so they're going to keep building that up. They'll, they'll be done by the night. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> I can say that. And then they'll be able to pave over that and get the traffic moving again here soon. You know what I keep saying? I'm optimistic. I'm more optimistic about the country than I've ever been. Not because I'm president, because things are changing so rapidly. Think of anything we've set our mind to as Americans. We've never, ever, ever failed. If we just do it together. I'm not a joke. I keep saying, I remember who the hell we are. We're the United States of America, for God's sake. We used to be, we used to have the number one infrastructure in the world. Now we're number 13. But you're bringing it back, right? With your help, the bipartisan infrastructure. Okay, Jack. Now, hearing it uh, in, in audio like that, it's like, President Biden's making total sense. Infrastructure is something he cares about, talks a lot about. So what's actually revealed in that moment? Well, the, the governor of Pennsylvania is talking about, you know, that uh, an emergency patch repair to this expressway going by Philadelphia to get it up going. And he's saying, I think we can get it done in a relatively short period of time. In the event, it only took 12 days, a kind of miracle. Uh, and so he says, I'm optimistic. Well, what does Biden say? He laps into his stump speech. I've never been more optimistic about the American people. There's nothing we can't do if, mm-hmm. we, don't do, if we do it together. He's not talking to the people. He's talking to other Pauls. Other, you know, to the mayor, to the governor, to the congressman, to the senators, they're all Pauls. And he's giving them his stump speech. He's triggered by the word optimistic. Yeah. And then he he does find a way to dovetail it into into infrastructure at the end. It's almost as if he's caught himself and saying, oh, my God, why am I going down this uh, this memory lane? It, it's as if he can't adapt to the new, to the fresh situation. And instead, he upcomes the association with the word optimistic. Interesting. Okay. And as you pointed out, he's talking with fellow politicians and not to a camera, right? So, no. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely not necessarily the time that uh, a stump speech is the most effective way for the president to respond. Now, there's another little moment here from that same Philadelphia event, and you can't really hear it in the audio. 
But Biden's talking to a, another official. And the the visual here is what matters. Let me describe a little bit. He's looking quite tired. Um, his arms are down by his side. Uh, very much the way that Joe Klein described um, the moment from, from just recently. So here's uh, the sound of a little bit of that moment. Now, my problem is I went to school, high school in Oxford Academy with a lot of folks from Delaware County. I know, kidding. They get screwed up. It's going to be tough, is it? You know, I mean, well, no, it's good. It's good. But, they, you know, they thought they were from Delaware. I mean, and they're all called kid aside. Okay, so Jack, I think it sounds like the point that you're trying to make is that no matter what Biden says, even in his you know most lucid, uh, forceful moments now, it's inescapable to see first his age and, as you said, his maybe fading vitality. Lots of people are seeing this, and at the same time, there, lots of people are seeing this truth, but it's also helping Republicans make political hay out of it, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This is going to be a big part of their campaign. Trump has to be careful with it because he's only three years younger. Uh, but uh, they're going to they're going to push it. And uh, they have a. If you go on the Web and you look under, you know, Biden gaffes or Biden dementia, even, which is ridiculous. Uh, you, you've got a whole, you know, Republican apparatchiks have put out these videos of the president wool gathering and, you know, not seeming to know what's going on and, uh, you know, falling as he has occasionally. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's going to be a big part of the campaign. Well, and and we've got an an example of that uh, because I think uh, not that long ago, in fact, it was just last week, um, President Biden was at FEMA headquarters and there's a moment where um, at the end of the press conference, um, he turns around and he says... uh, uh, where do I go? Right. Like looking lost for this moment. And and that little slice of video has really made the rounds in the past just couple of days. Right, Jack? Monica Crowley, who is a former official, I think, of the Bush administration and an inveterate Biden hater and, you know, put this man in a rest home. She sent that out as a sort of uh, tweet, as a tweet. And I must say, I looked at the tweet and it it there it was. And he's looking around saying, where, where do I go? And I thought, oh, man, no. But as we're going to hear, it was a little more complicated, a little more ambiguous. Yeah. So the power of that highly just the selective video in the age of social media can't be denied. But you're right. We went back and looked at the uh, the broader context of that moment. And as I mentioned, he was at FEMA headquarters, not at the White House. It was a really, really crowded room. Uh, the president had just finished making his remarks and reporters were tossing questions to him. And here's what happened. I am going to Florida. I'm going to, I'm going to Florida uh, Saturday morning. All right, thanks, everybody. Where am I going? All right, so you barely hear him say, where am I going now? And again, in a crowded room like that, he's just looking for the, the right exit that the president of the United States is supposed to go through, I'm sure also for security reasons. But the bigger context shows he was quite clear just in the seconds before that. But you know, Jack, I mean, nevertheless... We, we, we're pretty familiar with selective editing when it comes to politics. Mm-hmm. But I think to your point of both Joe Biden and Donald Trump in various in different ways saying, you know, don't believe what you see or don't, you know, don't be distracted by the truth of what you see. That it seems kind of unprecedented for for that same um, a similar tactic to be used by the, the leaders of 
both the major parties in this country? Uh, and it, 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 it seems to be, and in some ways it is, there, there are the faint precedent. One would be the remark attributed to Herbert Hoover. Remember, and I can't stress this enough, he, he's, he, he's, he and Donald Trump share a distinction. No new jobs created during their tenure. <laughs> and of course, with Hoover, it was the Great Depression. Uh, anyway, Hoover um, may have, this may belong to the apocrypha of politics, but He's attributed, it's attributed to him, uh, prosperity is right around the corner. Well, you know, people were, their experience, he was saying, never mind being in the breadline and what you're seeing around you, listen to me, prosperity is right around the corner. That hurt him as much as anything, any utterance that, uh, that, that he or any president could make. And then there's a, a, an even fainter parallel with Jerry Ford who um, beleaguered by 12% inflation just after he took office in 1974. He, he appeared at a address, address of Congress with a button on. The button says, win, whip inflation now. And he recommended that Americans get this button, send away for it, and sort of, you know, wish for the end of inflation and uh, do anti-inflationary things like shopping for the cheapest. In other words, he was trying to avoid any government intervention because, of course, he was a conservative. So we were going to whip inflation now. And uh, Alan Greenspan, who was the chairman of his economic advisors, said this was the stupidest idea I had ever heard <laughs> because it was telling people it was telling people that they were you know they were going to whip inflation now when when they were strangling with inflation they just couldn't believe the prices, and uh, it's it's uh, it's it's regarded as one of the worst public relations blunders in in presidential history because he was telling the people. Don't believe your eyes. Believe me. Yeah. Okay. So, Jack, you know, uh, on the one hand, uh, politicians trying to uh, forge or, or shape a new reality before our very eyes isn't necessarily new, as you point out. But what all of this makes me think of more than anything is, man, the American people are saying pretty loud and clear that they've got problems with both the leading candidates right now, right? Like oh, yeah. they, they look at Donald Trump and say, you know, other than uh, Trump's true believing base, um, Americans are saying this guy is the most divisive, one of the, the most divisive presidents in U.S. history. He's a serial liar. He's got the incredible baggage, to put it lightly, of his lying about the 2020 election and the January 6th catastrophe that followed thereafter. Not a guy that a lot of people necessarily want to see back in the White House. And then on the Biden side, the poll numbers are clear. Across the board, there's bipartisan concern about his age, the very thing that he's trying to distract people from seeing. And the Democrats yes. can't put up another, you know, viable candidate um, in, in, instead of Biden. So right now they're kind of saying, well, who else would it be other than Joe? And I think it's no surprise that so many Americans are just frustrated that these two people, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I am not comparing them against each other, to be clear, but that these two people are the best that the parties have to offer to lead the United States right now. So, like, where does this leave us all, Jack? You know, in, in despair at the system that, that, that we have uh, and in despair at the way in which um, 
uh, in com you know, uh, apples and kumquats can be compared. You, you know, uh, Trump has 91 uh, felony counts against him, and he's talked for talked about suspending the Constitution. That's on one side. On the other side, Biden is too old. <laughs> They're not comparable. <laughs> Give me Biden any day. Any sane person would say that. And one of the points that Mike Murphy, I mentioned him in his antler metaphor, he says Biden needs to bring out other people, the younger people in his administration. Let him play chairman of the board. He has a meeting where they chime in. Here's what's going on in energy. Here's what's going on in infrastructure. Here's what's going on in Ukraine. They do the talking. He's the chairman of the board. People, they still see the antlers, but they see, hey, there are a lot of these smart people who are in touch who are around the president. This is a team. Mm. We can trust him because we can trust them. Yeah. Uh, well, if, if only the, the media machine around a political campaign worked that way. But Jack, there it is. Episode one of our new podcast only series with you. Do you know what I wanted to call it? But it got rejected by my executive producer. I wanted to call this podcast series. You're not half as smart as Jack, but you will no. be. <laughs> but you will be when you listen to this show. Uh, yeah. Jack, who can't balance a checkbook. I mean, my God. <laughs> oh, but, but you do definitely um, take us to new places with your analysis. So, so folks, if you haven't already, this right here is your reason to subscribe to the On Point podcast. Uh, so do it right now because Jack's next episode drops next Friday in a week. And so, Jack, give us just a tiny hint about what it's, what, what it's going to be about. Tease us here a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be a uh, a look inside the connection between leader and led on the Republican side. Why are Trump's people so loyal to him? And there's a hint. Many of them think they have had to make sacrifices for him. And that sort of gives them a moral sunk mm. cost in Donald Trump. Moral sunk cost sacrifice and Trump's most ardent supporters. OK, so that's next Friday in our podcast special with Jack Beatty. Jack, thank you so much. Thank you, Meghna. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, along with Jack Beatty, And this is On Point.